Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Tonight's Bible reading is from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. You can find that on page 1226 of your pew Bibles. Is any one of you in trouble? You should pray. Is anyone happy? Sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Call the elders of the church to pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make you well. The Lord will raise you up. If you have sinned, you will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was human, just as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. (coughs) My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, Remember this, those who turn sinners from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Beautiful stuff. Thank you, Tom. Excellent. So if you don't know me, I'm Stuart. I'm the music and worship coordinator here. Um, They've let the music monkey out of the box. Careful. Luckily, the, the subject tonight is on prayer and worship, so you'd hope that as I get paid for this job, I should know a bit about it. But just in case, let's pray. Father God, I, um, I pray that your words will come out of my mouth tonight. And I pray that if those words fall on people's hearts, that they will hear them. Amen. <clears throat> So, let's just do a quick recap. So far in this letter of James that we've been going through, he's taken us through how we can live as better humans, more like Jesus, how we should not have favoritism or condemn others, how wealth can be dangerous and how we can have patience and endurance. And in this section we read tonight, it shows us how all of this should inspire a life of faith-filled prayer and worship. Now... Let me get one thing straight right off the bat. Prayer and worship are one and the same thing. When we pray, we are worshiping. And when we worship, we are, in fact, praying. It's all about coming close to God and coming into communion with him, having a conversation with him. It's about hanging out with him. Relationships take work. 
as any two people who have known each other for any amount of time and come to care for one another will tell you. And it's not, that's not just about couples who are in love, it's your mates, it's your co-workers. All these relationships take a certain amount of work. Somebody's got to send that first text in order to meet up for a coffee. And somebody's got to be the first one to say, I love you. And then there's God, who created the heavens and the earth, who had flung stars into space, who is greater and above all things, and who loves us and desperately wants to have a relationship with us on a deeply personal level. The thing is, he's always got time for us. He's always got time for us. We just have to make time for him. That's why prayer and worship, whether we do that on our own or whether it's something we do with other people, is so, so important. <clears throat> now, you may have heard me use this phrase before. I'm like a broken record when I say it. Songs are a place we go. Why do we sing these songs together anyway? Is it just because we always have? Whenever there's been some sort of iteration of church, some sort of music has been involved? Or is it because there's something special, something deep that happens when words meld with music? I mean, look, <clears throat> I'm biased here. I'm a musician, right? So obviously I'm gonna have a deep connection with music. But honestly, I believe that music is the best thing that God has ever created. There is no art form more beautiful. Music is where I find comfort, solace, joy, challenge myself and God. So when we worship together, the songs aren't the thing. Jesus is the thing. The songs and music we sing are there as a framework. They create a sonic sanctuary where we can cultivate our relationship with him. For church throughout the ages, the music of worship has provided a space of meeting, a true encountering ground of people with a God who is not only the God of the universe, but the God who loves us deeply. Not only with the God who tells the story, but that the story of God is itself narrated into our hearts through these songs that are places we go to meet with God, to reclaim and encounter his story for us and for the world. <clears throat> so when we sing these songs, it's not about singing every line correctly or every melody dead on right. In fact, if you didn't even sing a word, it wouldn't matter. You can just let the words and music wash over you and let God minister to you as you listen and wait on him. The main thing is that we show up. Not only that we show up in here in this place, but that we show up intentionally. As I've said before, God has always got time for us. We just need to have time for him. 
Now, now, most of you know that before I started working here, I worked in theatre. So I'm going to quote a choreographer called Bob Fosse, who choreographed shows like Chicago and Sweet Charity. But I think this quote also rings true in worship. It says this, The time to sing is when your emotional level is just too high to speak anymore. And the time to dance is when your emotions are just too strong to only sing about how you feel. Now, because of my past experience in acting, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right with bursting out into song and dance at the drop of a hat. That's just what I do. And if you've met my two-year-old son, Elijah, he, he is always singing as well. I mean, that kid sings himself to sleep and sings himself when he, as, soon as, he, as soon as he wakes up in the morning. He is definitely the son of two musicians. Poor kid. <laughs> there is no hope for him. <clears throat> but in this Fosse quote, it's because the limitations of the spoken text of a show can't express what the actors are feeling. So they sing, and then, then the limitations of the song can't express what you're feeling. So they dance, and so you have to physicalize it somehow with your body. It's the same in worship. If we are fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit, we are caused to worship him in the way he deserves, not in the way in which we feel comfortable. Worship is a knee-jerk reaction. In the light of who Jesus is, we can't help but not worship him. Let me say that again. In the light of who Jesus is, we can't help but not worship him. Worship is for all times and all places. So in the text we read tonight, it says... Is anyone, in, is, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Worship should be a reactionary outpouring of everything that we're feeling and expressing. Are you experiencing a dark night of the soul season? Then seek God in prayer and worship. Lament to him. The vast majority of the Psalms are, psalm, are songs of lament. They cry out to God in pure, unadulterated truth, which sometimes comes out as anger, sadness, disappointment. But most of the time, the Psalms end with a but. But you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. Or are you standing on the mountaintop? Are you living life on a high with nothing but joy in your heart? Then worship. Not because you should, not because you feel that you should, but because it's the only fitting outpouring of the thankfulness that your heart is feeling. Now, this next bit in the reading is the exciting bit. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray to pray over them and anoint them with oil and in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now in that quote, James is talking about the elders of the church, but Jesus actually commissioned all of us to heal the sick and to cast out demons. We've been given the same power in the name of Jesus that Jesus had himself. And this leads me on to my main point tonight. 
the thing I want you to go home remembering. Worship changes the atmosphere. Worship changes the atmosphere. When we worship, the atmosphere literally changes. So, so <clears throat> let me get this straight. The presence of God, the Holy Spirit, is always here. It has been here long before we got here, and it will remain here long after we go. That is as well as remaining with us when we go. But <clears throat> what I mean is, I don't know, for me, there's something about this space. There's something about this church which just exudes God's holy presence. I don't know if you agree with me, but there's just something when you walk in the door that you just can't put down to anything else. <clears throat> now, when we get together and worship, the sense of his presence increases. It's the difference between his omnipresence and his manifest presence. That's why the prayers like, more Lord and come Holy Spirit are so powerful. It's not that we have, like, we have control over him, but in those prayers what we're saying is we are opening our hearts, minds and souls to the possibility of the more. And when we worship in the more, we find that the space between heaven and earth somehow becomes thinner. And we get to experience and join in with the glorious eternal worship of heaven. We get to feel the weight of the Lord upon us. There's something heavy about that situation. Worship is not only a corporate declaration of who God is when we gather together, it's also a prophetic declaration of what is to come. When we enter into his presence, we are reaching for the more and the not yet of the king and his kingdom. When we worship, we're not escaping the battles and the realities of our broken world. We are inviting God into it. And when God enters into that place, the atmosphere changes. Let me tell you a story. Before I do, let me just take some water. So, there was this one time when I was at a worship conference, and we were worshiping, which you do a lot at a worship conference. Um, I mean, you've never heard worship quite like it until you get a group of worship leaders in a room. It just, it's pretty epic. <clears throat> so, we're worshiping, we're worshiping hard, right? we're proper going for it. And then outside the church, we hear these police sirens. And later on, we hear that we found out that across the road from the church, the police had stormed this flat and arrested a group of people traffickers who were, who were keeping a group of women who they'd illegally trafficked prisoner. I mean, come on. Talk about setting the captives free, right? Yeah, I, so I guess you could put that down to coincidence. But for me, I think God's bigger than that. Now, in the Bible, we see God move even more powerfully than that. Let's take ourselves really briefly away from James and into Acts. Chapter 16, uh, where Paul and Cyrus, Silas have been arrested, they've been beaten up, they've been thrown into prison. Picking it up at verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. See, this is what I mean about worshipping in all times and all places. 
They've just been beaten up and thrown into prison. And what do they do? They worship. So they're worshiping and all the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. What? I mean, you can't put that down to coincidence. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So, not only did God literally break down the walls and release Paul and Silas, a man and his whole household were brought into a relationship with God. Even in the passage we read tonight, we, we talk about Elijah great name by the way, who prayed that it would not rain and guess what? It didn't rain. And then three years later he prays again, this time that it would rain and guess what? It rained. Worship changes things. It changes the atmosphere. Now, I like to talk, talk about worshipers as thermostats. Yeah, thermostats. So, you know you've got, you've got thermometers, and they are good at reading the temperature of the room. And then you've got thermostats, which can actually change the temperature of a room. Being a thermometer is good. It's good to be able to read the room and discern what God is doing in that moment. But we also have to be thermostats. As we worship, we can change the temperature of the room in the power that Jesus has bestowed upon us and actively bring closer his coming kingdom. It's all about Jesus. Let me say that again. Do not get me wrong. It is all about Jesus. But we are something to do with it. We are part of the story. We're not worshipping ourselves in our own power. We're worshipping God in his power that he has given us. And in all of this, we increase our expectation of what God can do. Now, there's something really important that we have to grasp here. Worship is warfare. Each time we worship, we are going into battle with the powers of evil. Now, one thing's for certain. Satan hates worship. He'll be pushing back on us at every turn. 
So many times we've turned up for rehearsal here and there's been technical gremlins in the system or we break a string or something just goes wrong and we have to fix that. And that for sure is the evil one pushing back and trying to stop us worshipping. But we always fix it because nothing is going to stop us. And this isn't limited to within the church. Worship warfare actually affects the space outside the church too. Like it did with the people, with the people traffickers who got arrested across the, across the road from our worship session. It affects outside the church as well as inside the church. <clears throat> so, if we're going to go about this, if we are going to become worship atmosphere changers, we need to arm ourselves with the weapons of worship warfare. Now, I've picked three weapons of worship warfare. There are loads of others, but these are the ones that God has highlighted for me in my story and where my authority comes from as a child of God and where I have personally seen the kingdom break out. Okay, so our first one ties in with what Ben's been talking about in our next step as a church. It's vulnerability. Yeah, right there, straight in the jugular. Vulnerability cuts through the atmosphere like a knife. Vulnerability reflects an intimacy with Jesus. And what it does is it invites others into that. We have to be vulnerable in our relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, how can we truly give ourselves to him and sing things like, I am yours and you are mine? Being vulnerable is hard. I know, it's really hard. It can be uncomfortable. But when did you ever think you were supposed to be comfortable? And just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not right. Now, <clears throat> look, I know that I'm quite an emotionally open person. I have no problem in crying in front of all of you. In fact, I've done it many times. So, look, I know this stuff's going to be harder for some guys more than others. But I think, I think the main reason why, we, why sometimes we struggle with this stuff is because it's out of the fear of being judged by other people in the room. Yeah. So right now, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I don't judge you for your vulnerability. Go for it. Good. So that's a pact between all of us. We are not going to judge each other for each other's vulnerability. We are going to support each other in our vulnerability. I want us to be a church where we can support each other. We should be able to be vulnerable in front of each other just as much as we are with Jesus. Vulnerability offends the religious but gives life to the broken. To the religious, vulnerability looks like weakness and looks like mess. To the broken, it's an on-ramp to the heart of God. Messiness is okay. Now, <clears throat> let me take a quick aside here and explain 
that what I mean by intimacy and vulnerability isn't just the soft piano ballads. It's not just the tears and the emotional stuff. It's not just when we hold a, a soft washy pad on one chord. It's not just when, when a female worship leader sings either. We find intimacy in joy as much as sorrow, in up-tempo as much as slow songs, in loudness as much as quietness. It's a posture of the heart. It's an expectation. Okay, so the next, question, the next weapon of worship warfare is integrity. Integrity is all about living out this stuff that we're singing. Our gathered worship is a response to what God is doing in our lives. If you're living a life that isn't honoring to God during the week, then coming to church on a Sunday and singing these songs like you're the best Christian in the room, there's something wrong there. Something doesn't quite line up. And I'm not saying we have to all be perfect Christians in order to worship. I'm not saying that. I'm as big a screw-up as anybody else. But there's something, in this, there's something in this revelation that we experience that causes a response in the way that we live. I have a little saying. You cannot serve what you're not cooking, so get in the kitchen. For a healthy worship atmosphere, for a healthy atmosphere changing worship ministry, we need to build from our integrity out and not from our form in. Now, what I mean by this is that with the right amount of skill and financial investment, it is quite possible to replicate the exact aesthetic of whatever worship environment you love. Whether you want big rock bands or robed choirs or huge lighting rigs and hazes and or stained glass and incense. I want all of those things, by the way. It is quite possible to get your worship to look and sound however you want it to look and sound. But if you just imitate form without paying heed to the values that underlie form, you end up with something that's all style and very little substance. All sizzle and no steak. Our form should, should be an expression of our integrity. Everything we do in the, way that this, in the way that we play music, in the way that we sing, in the way that this building looks, in the way that we pray and take communion, should come out and point back to our vision and values. I don't want us to look and sound like Bethel and Hillsong just because we sing songs by them. I want us to sound and look like us because the way that we sound and look sounds and looks like what Jesus intended us to be. In doing this, we bring life to our church's worship. <clears throat> now, the third weapon of worship warfare is perseverance. It is quite easy to be a one-off worship atmosphere changer but it's quite another to do this stuff over a lifetime. For worship warfare, there is a resilience required. So no, we're not going to experience heaven coming down in a powerful way every time we worship, 
but we hold on to the expectation that it can and it does. And we should be constantly running towards that goal. It's pretty much impossible for us to run away from our calling as worship atmosphere changes. Quitting is easy. Perseverance is hard. It's not one battle, but many. It's not one victory, but many. Do you know what you carry? Do you know what you bring? Each and every one of you. You are all worship leaders, just as much as me or Joel or anybody. And that means that the responsibility of worship is on everyone. You can't just stand there in front of the band like, go on then, lead me in worship. We all have to be actively seeking the presence of God. And like I said before, active engagement doesn't mean singing every line and getting it all correct. It looks like an open and expectant heart that is giving God permission to do what he likes with us in that moment. And that's a dangerous prayer to pray. Because if we pray it, and we truly mean it, God will change us. Prayer and worship can and does change the atmosphere. But that change in atmosphere has to come from a change in culture, and we all have to be culture carriers. We all have to be thermostats. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.